0: Welcome to Read By, a new podcast where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Louise Erdrich reads a short selection from her latest novel, The Night Watchman, as well as a selection of poetry by Natalie Diaz, Joy Harjo, Carolyn Forche, Erica Gansworth, and Hyde E. Erdrich. To learn more from Erdrich about her choices, and for a list of the poems, check out the episode description. And now, Read Read By. Louise Erdrich.
1: Hello, this is Louise Erdrich, and I'm going to read from my latest novel, The Night Watchman, which is based on my grandfather, Patrick Gorno. The year is 1953, and the setting is the Turtle Mountain jewel bearing plant, a real place. Thomas Wojciuszk removed his thermos from his armpit and set it on the steel desk alongside his scuffed briefcase. His work jacket went on the chair, his lunchbox on the cold windowsill. When he took off his padded tractor hat, a crab apple fell from the ear flap, a gift from his daughter. He caught the apple and put it on the desktop to admire, then punched his time card. Midnight. He picked up the key ring, a company flashlight, and walked the perimeter of the main floor. In this quiet, always quiet expanse, Turtle Mountain women spent their days leaning into the hard light of their task lamps. The women pasted micro-thin slices of ruby, sapphire, or the lesser jewel, garnet, onto thin, upright spindles in preparation for drilling. The jewel bearings would be used in Defense Department ordnance and in Bulova watches. This was the first time there had ever been manufacturing jobs near the reservation, and women filled most of these coveted positions. They had scored much higher on tests for manual dexterity. The government attributed their focus to Indian blood and training in Indian beadwork. Thomas thought it was their sharp eyes. The women of his tribe could spear you with a glance. He'd been lucky to get his own job. He was smart and honest, but he wasn't young and skinny anymore. He got the job because he was reliable, and he knocked himself out to do all that he did as perfectly as he could do it. He made his inspections with a rigid thoroughness. As he moved along, he checked the drilling room, tested every lock, flipped the lights on and off. At one point, to keep his blood flowing, he did a short fancy dance, then threw in a Red River jig. Refreshed, he stepped through the reinforced doors of the acid-washing room with its rows of numbered beakers, pressure dial, hose, sink, and washing stations. He checked the offices, the green and white tiled bathrooms, and ended up back at the machine shop. His desk pooled with light from the defective lamp that he had rescued and repaired for himself, so that he could read, write, cogitate, and from time to time slap himself awake. Thomas was named for the muskrat, Wazhashk, the lowly, hard-working, water-loving rodent. Muskrats were everywhere on the slough-dotted reservation. Their small, supple forms slipped busily through water at dusk, continually perfecting their burrows and eating how they loved to eat. Practically anything growing or moving in a slough. Although the wajashkug were numerous and ordinary, they were also crucial in the beginning, after the great flood. It was a muskrat who had helped remake the earth. In that way, as it turned out, Thomas was perfectly named. I'm reading from Post-Colonial Love Poem by Natalie Diaz. Manhattan is a Lenape word. It is December and we must be brave. The ambulance's rose of light blooming against the window. Its single siren cry, Help me. A silk-red shadow unbolting like water through the orchard of her thigh. Her, calm, in the green night, a lion. I sleep her bees with my mouth of smoke, dip honey with my hands stung sweet on the darksome hive. Out of the eater I eat, meaning, She is mine, Colony. The things I know aren't easy. I'm the only Native American on the eighth floor of this hotel, or any, looking out any window of a turn-of-the-century building in Manhattan. Manhattan is a Lenape word. Even a watch must be wound. How can a century or a heart turn if nobody asks? Where have all the natives gone? If you are where you are, then where are those who are not here? Not here. Which is why in this city I have many lovers. All my loves are reparations' loves. What is loneliness, if not unimaginable light, and measured in lumens? An electric bill which must be paid. A taxi cab floating across three lanes with its lap lit, golden wanting. At 2 a.m., everyone in New York City is empty and asking for someone. Again, the siren's same wide note Help me, meaning I have a gift, and it is my body, made two handed of gods and bronze. She says, you make me feel like lightning. I say, I don't ever want to make you feel that white. It's too late. I can't stop seeing her bones. I'm counting the carpels, metacarpels of her hand inside me. One bone, the lunate bone, is named for its crescent outline. Lunatus, Luna. Some nights she rises like that in me, like trouble, a slow, Luminous flux. The street lamp beckons the lonely coyote wandering West 29th Street by offering its long wrist of light. The coyote answers by lifting its head and crying, Stars. Somewhere far from New York City, an American drone finds then loves a body. The radiant nectar it seeks through great darkness makes a candle hour of it and burns gently. Along it, like American touch, an unbearable heat. The siren song returns in me. I sing it across her throat. Am I what I love? Is this the glittering world I've been begging for? American arithmetic. Native Americans make up less than 1% of the population of America, 0.8% of 100%. Oh, Mine efficient country. I do not remember the days before America. I do not remember the days when we were all here. Police kill Native Americans more than any other race. Race is a funny word. Race implies someone will win, implies I have as good a chance of winning as who wins the race that isn't a race. Native Americans make up 1.9% of all police killings higher per capita than any race. Sometimes race means run. I'm not good at math. Can you blame me? I've had an American education. We are Americans, and we are less than 1% of Americans. We do a better job of dying by police than we do existing. When we are dying, who should we call? The police? Or our senator? Please, someone, call my mother. At the National Museum of the American Indian, 68% of the collection is from the United States. I am doing my best to not become a museum of myself. I am doing my best to breathe in and out. I am begging, let me be lonely but not invisible. But in an American room of 100 people, I am Native American, less than one, less than Whole, I am less than myself, only a fraction of a body. Let's say I am only a hand, and when I slip it beneath the shirt of my lover, I disappear completely. If I should come upon your house, lonely in the West Texas desert, from Post Colonial Love Poem by Natalie Diaz. If I should come upon your house, lonely in the West Texas desert, I will swing my lasso of headlights across your front porch. Let it drop like a rope of knotted light at your feet. While I put the car in park, you will tie and tighten the loop of light around your waist, and I will be there with the other end, wrapped three times around my hips horned with loneliness. Reel me in across the glow-throbbing sea of green thread Blue stem prickly poppy, the white inflorescence of yucca bells, up the dust lit stairs into your arms. If you say to me, This is not your new house, but I am your new home, I will enter the door of your throat, hang my last lariat in the hallway, build my altar of best books on your bedside table, turn the lamp on and off, on and off, on. off. I will lie down in you, eat my meals at the red table of your heart. Each steaming bowl will be just right. I will eat it all up, break all your chairs to pieces. If I try running off into the deep purpling scrub brush, you will remind me there is nowhere to go if you are already here and pat your hand on your lap lighted by the Topazian lux of the moon through the window say, here love, sit here when I do I will say and here I still am until then where are you? what is your address? I am hurting, I am riding the night on a full tank of gas and my headlights are reaching out for something From Conflict Resolution for Holy Beings Poems by Joy Harjo Praise the rain Praise the rain The seagull dive The curl of plant The raven talk Praise the hurt The house slack The stand of trees The dignity Praise the dark The moon cradle The sky fall The bear sleep Praise the mist the warrior name, the earth eclipse, the fired leap. Praise the backwards, upward sky, the baby cry, the spirit food. Praise canoe, the fish rush, the hole for frog, the upside down. Praise the day, the cloud cup, the mind flat, forget it all. Praise crazy, praise sad, Praise the path on which we are led. Praise the roads on earth and water. Praise the eater and the eaten, Praise beginnings. Praise the end. Praise the song and praise the singer. Praise the rain. It brings more rain. Praise the rain. It brings more rain. and I'm reading from In the Lateness of the World, poems by Carolyn Fourche. Museum of Stones These are your stones, assembled in matchbox and tin, collected from roadside, culvert and viaduct, battlefield, threshing floor, basilica, abattoir. Stones, loosened by tanks in the streets, from a city whose earliest map was drawn in ink on linen. Schoolyard stones in the hands of a corpse. Pebble from Baudelaire's Oui. Stone of the mind within us, carried from one silence to another. Stone of Cromlitch and cairn, schist and shale, Hornblende, agate, marble, millstones, Ruins of choirs and shipyards, chalk, marl, mudstone from temples and tombs, stone from the silvery grass near the scaffold, stone from the tunnel lined with bones, lava of a city's entombment, stones chipped from lighthouse, cell wall, scriptorium, paving stones from the hands of those who rose against the army. Stones where the bells had fallen, where the bridges were blown. Those that had flown through windows, weighted petitions. Feldspar, rose quartz, blue schist, gneiss and shirt. Fragments of an abbey at dusk, sandstone toe of a Buddha mortared at Bamiyan. Stone from the hill of three crosses and a crypt. From a chimney, where storks cried like human children. Stones newly fallen from stars. A stillness of stones. A heart. Altar and boundary stone. Marker and vessel. First cast. Load and hail. Bridge stones and others to pave and shut up with. Stone apple. Stone basil. Beech. Berry. Stone break, concretion of the body, as blind, as cold, as deaf, all earth a quarry, all life a labor, stone faced, stone drunk, with hope that this assemblage of rubble taken together would become a shrine or holy place, an ossuary immovable and sacred like the stone that marked the path of the sun as it entered the human dawn. Letter to a City Under Siege by Carolyn Forchet Turning the pages of the book you have lent me of your wounded city, reading the braille on its walls, walking beneath ghost chestnuts, past fires that turn the bullet-shattered windows bronze, flaring an instant without warming the fallen houses, where you sleep without water or light, a biscuit tin between you, or later in the cafe ruins, you discuss all night the burnt literature borrowed from a library where all books met with despair. I wanted to give your notes back to you, to be printed in another language, not yours or mine, but a tongue understood by children who make bulletproof vests out of cardboard. We will then lie down in the cemetery where violets grew in your childhood, before snipers fired on the city using gravestones for cover. Friend, absent one, I can tell you that your tunnel is still there, mud-walled and hallowed of earth, dug for smuggling oranges into the city. Oranges, bright as winter moons by the barrow load. So let's walk further up the street, to the hill where one is able to see the city woven in fog. Roofs filled with sky, uprooted bridges, and a shop window where a shard of glass hangs over the spine of a book. The library burns on page 60, as it burns in all the newspapers of the world, and the clopping of horses' hooves isn't the sound of clopping horses. From here, a dog finds his way through snow with a human bone. And what else? What more? Even the clocks have run out of time. But, my good friend, the tunnel. There is still a tunnel for oranges. I'm reading from A Half-Life of Cardiopulmonary Function by Eric Gansworth. A Half-Life of Cardiopulmonary Function I used to think that if I loved hard enough and long enough, passion would always win out. Like the way I loved cologne, venturing teenaged into congested malls, abusing testers, only a salesperson surly enough, Inquiring if she or he could help me in any way, spitting the prices of even the smallest bottles of the scents I had slathered on, forcing me out in a cloud of confidence that I was the Calvin Klein man, not the old spice man, not the zest man, and certainly not the my draughty house is warmed badly by kerosene heaters, man, impervious to my real life where I would sneak down in the middle of the night, passing snow-collecting on the inside of the window sill, trying to descend the stairs silently to complete the night lying before the stove's vents, blowing sooty, warm air deep into my sleeping lungs, clutching a broken lacrosse stick to intimidate rats, so brazen our house cats accepted them as equal occupants. Until I exit those automatic doors, leave fountains where, just out of range, I envy white families tossing entire cigarette packs worth of what they call spare change, wishing for things they could already buy if they wanted, laughing as those presidential faces fall sometimes up and sometimes down, all drowning in three inches of chlorinated well water return to the reservation where my sister-in-law embraces me later the same day, drawing deeply, saying she loves the scent of burnt heating oil on men, that it reminds her of when she and my brother dated, and she would hold him long in those last moments before allowing him to walk out her door, meander through snowy grooves, finding his way home. While she looked out windows, where ice crystals gathered on the proper side of the pane, holding her breath as long as she dared, letting his presence seep out only when she could no longer bear, leaving him to be a vapor ghost on her window, a fog sure to vanish even before she turned from the window. And here I am, years later, living in that same state, you, miles away, and I, knowing how presence disperses into air, wonder how long I can hold my breath. Loving that Landa Lakes Girl by Eric Gansworth. She is the first lesson in love for many Indian boys, all tanned hide and feathers, features straight out of Hollywood, but she lights the spark for those red boys, and probably for some black and white and brown ones as well, for anyone who learns her tricks, really, and they're not that hard to master. She stares out at all from a burst of sunrise and lush flora kneeling, hands suspended before her, framing her bosom with infinitely smaller versions of herself. First, release her from the cardboard landscape she inhabits. Then, Carefully remove the product placement in front of her and just below. Fold her spine back and back again without regard to the vertebrae that you snap along the way. Carefully position her and her magical side emerges, transforming those round knees into ample breasts, ditching her old franchise for hooters as she flashes you a smile and so much more. She is, by all accounts, like butter, all slick-skinned, sweet and soft, lightly salted, and when you touch her, you leave an impression that stays until the next hot thing comes along. Is it any wonder Indian women have grown tough and strong with competition like that? From Little Big Bully Poems by Hyde Erdrich Yes, relation, yes, my sister. Public grief. This is not my grief, but a small hole, lightless, penetrating the globe of family, so now all stands still, ringed by light snow, ringed by bright lights. This is not my grief, but a lightless hole through the human globe. Surrounded by cameras, yammering, brilliant stills and stunned silence groan. So loud, it weighs down the flowers, daisies, carnations, lilies, mums, all the flowers ever left in memorial along all the letters and petitions, and again the promise of never. This is not my grief, but a small hole, lightless Penetrating the light show, the weight of all the ever flowers, cameras and microphones, speechless, unspeakable. There are no words, but words and words and words. This is not my grief, but a black and white vortex, a crush that collapses, sucks in, swallows whole. This is not my grief, but A terrible, a particular, a small hole, deep beyond belief. Deeper, deep enough to own its depth, to be depth alone. The Coldness Was Coldness by Hyde E. Erdrich 1. This is just to say, I have eaten the plums, etc., etc., Ice box, etc., etc., with the exception that the plums were not plums and the sweetness was not sweetness and that I did not eat them but instead carried them next door to tempt the sad woman I sometimes see smoking on the flagstones. Two, William Carlos Williams was a doctor and husband of Mrs. Dr. William Carlos Williams who has remained nameless to me, faceless to me, except for a frown and dark brows on a pale forehead. What I have learned about blank Williams is that she could swim and had been an Atlantic-certified lifeguard, considered herself one of the early gourmets in the U.S. and was often a guest of Julia Child. Mrs. Williams suffered from what we might now call depression, what we might now call ennui, what we might now call boredom, what we might now call god-awful stultification, etc., etc. I say this, but I may need actual research to support or claim the fiction here produced. 3. This is not to say I wouldn't have eaten the plums, etc., etc., but no matter how cold, Or sweet, etc., etc. I would not have eaten them alone.
0: 92Y's Read By is produced and commissioned by New York's 92Y Underberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings of literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to 92Y's Read by wherever you download podcasts. If you enjoyed this recording, please share it with a friend. Tag us on Twitter or Facebook, 92Y Poetry Center, and let us know your favorites. If you extra enjoyed and you're able in this uncertain time, please visit 92Y.org/helpnow to donate to support 92Y and its new digital programming. We rely on your contributions. Thank you, and thank you for listening. Find more great readings at 92y.org slash archives.